Welcome everybody to the Haunted Hacker podcast number. Let's see, the last one was 100. Um, give me a number, Deidre, between 100 and 120. 111. 111, perfect. So this is episode number 111. Today we have Deidre Diamond from Cybersyn on the, on the podcast with us. Uh, she's going to share a little bit of her journey as well as talk about some interesting topics. Uh, before we get started, we'll go ahead and uh, give an update really quick. Uh, the anniversary podcast is coming up in less than two weeks on the 30th. Um, got some surprise guests. I actually have a guest coming from Chattanooga who is the founder of the Haunted Chattanooga um, Ghost Walk, Ghost Tour. Uh, so that'd be pretty interesting, something different than, than cybersecurity. Um, and uh, I speak in Cyprus next week to, for the National uh, Cybersecurity Conference in Cyprus. So that should be really interesting. This is my first time speaking there. Um, other than that, I don't have a whole lot of updates. We're in a new location now, so you'll probably see a new set um, probably next week. Uh, waiting on some new equipment to come in. Uh, but once we get rolling, you'll see that. And this is actually my first podcast in the new place. So I'm really excited about this. This is really cool. Uh, unfortunately, I don't have my mic set up and all that good stuff, but we'll get there. Um, so Deidre, Tell me a little bit about um, your background and your journey to cyber. And, and also, thanks a lot for, for coming on the show and, and sharing your time with me. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. I uh, love talking about my career only because I want more people to have it. <laughs> I am one of the lucky ones. I represent the 1% uh, founding CEOs uh, of a tech company. In fact, uh, because I've... Um, funded with my own money, I'm actually less than 1%. Uh, and I don't want to see that anymore. And so I do like sharing my story. There are, there's no doubt that uh, the experience I had is, is a big reason why. So I'm from, I grew up in California. I went to school for sociology and criminal justice. I thought I'd be a criminal attorney. Uh, was discouraged um, uh, just by the nature of being a woman. It was a lot of discouragement around me about it. And uh, so I went into social work and uh, within my 90 days, I didn't realize that the California law, you could terminate me. And I was writing up management for poor behavior in interacting with these uh, young adults under 18 uh, mm. who were in group homes. And when I got fired, because I went into the... The, the, the room where we all hang out on our breaks. And I saw this book that says, if you see something, write it down. And I did, and I got myself fired. Uh, and that was devastating for me at the time. And even though I was making minimum wage, my goal was to really help, uh, you know, in society. And um, lucky for me, I answered a little ad in the paper. This woman was doing career coaching and it was the paper. I'm 50. So this is, uh, I graduated in 93. Uh, and, uh, and she uh, told me I should be in sales and management. And I didn't even know what the heck that was. And uh, she did. Uh, luckily, I come from a privileged life. My parents were able to give me some money to uh, get some coaching from her. She taught me how to interview. And I found an ad in the paper that said, can you think on your feet? And it was a group of people, small group of people, two serial entrepreneurial men at the top. And they hired me entry level and trained and promoted me within technical recruiting for 13 years. Uh, we went from 2 million to 89 in five years. I was VP in the third, wow. um, making the kind of money that's crazy and also doing really good business for people. 
And after 13 years, we were 500 folks, so almost a billion. And that's motion recruitment today. They're well over that now. And those, those two uh, gentlemen also founded Rapid7. Yeah, yeah. Rapid7 had been in business uh, for a little bit. Maybe uh, I think 18 people were there when I joined and I was their first vice president of sales. So I was asked to take that inside sales model, which is really just good solution providing. I don't know how we all feel about salespeople. Uh, anyhow, I'll talk about that in a little bit later, but uh, and bring that inside sales to selling uh, Nexpos. And, uh, and so I did, and I went from 800,000, um, to 50 million in reoccurring revenue in four years, uh, from 18 to 300 people. I also helped build out, uh, recruiting, uh, sales engineering reported to me sales. And, uh, it, we just had a great time, did the deal with HD more, you know, those types of things just, you know, really rocked it. And then those founders asked me to go to one of their other software companies that needed a restart their oldest one content management, didn't love it, but I did what they needed me to do. Everybody retires. And I'm like, I got to do something else, you know, with, uh, my, I want to get back to what I was doing. And that's when I founded CyberSN. I thought, you know what? I loved recruiting. I loved helping people find jobs. And uh, I loved developing people and running great uh, co uh, companies. And, um, and so after being CEO of percussion software, I thought, you know, what? I'm going to, I'm going to go put the two of the things I love the most staffing and the cyber community. They're my peeps, they're social servants, they're protectors, they're givers, uh, and they're brilliant. And, uh, so I thought oh, I, I can help. They can't find each other's. I hear all this noise. There's a problem. Mm -hmm. Let me go help. And that's when I founded CyberSN and realized how broken everything became in the digital era. That's how I realized I was the one percent or whatever percent I am. And I founded Secure Diversity. I built a platform. I've done a lot over the last seven years to solve some big problems that we have. And uh, I'm a super lucky person to, you know, have this story. And it shall not be luck anymore, right? We can't. Exactly. You know, we just can't. The training. I mean, if you hear what was in all of that, it was people sticking together, people investing in people, people creating stories uh, for people. And that's their model, whatever business it was, you know, uh, Absolutely. that's what I do. <laughs> cool. Very cool. And our, our, our past kind of, I think, crossed at one point unknowingly until just now. Um, so HD is a friend of mine um, and he went to Rapid7 and I actually worked for Mantech International and I used to do pen tests for Rapid7. Kind of ad hoc, yeah. So like that, that, that what's that? We're cousins. Yeah, <laughs> distant cousins. Um, and I too remember the, the newspapers. I actually graduated in '92, so I wasn't that far behind you. Um, but yeah, it's a uh, it's very interesting uh, environment that we live in now. Um, and you're right. There's a lot of people who are very giving, uh, but it, it seems like the hiring. Um, I've always had a problem with the way that that security companies hire people. And what they look for and, and kind of, you know, the, the interviewing process has always been a little, I think, a little off in most places. Um, and we can talk about that. Um, you know, at, listening to your, your career is pretty amazing. And, you know, you seem, you seem very excited about your career and, and passionate about what you do. Um, and to me, that makes a world of difference. And when you're giving back to the community and help, helping people connect with their future, that has to be a good feeling. Um, a lot of fulfillment there. So let's talk about uh, the hiring process and, and how you 
get into how you bring the people together and some stories about, you know, the, the hardships as well as the successes that you experienced in that process. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, it, it, it was shocking to me after leaving the business of talent and staffing for 10 years, really I left cause I left January of 2007. So I started at rapid seven and then I didn't come back for 10 years. It was really the digital era, if you will. Uh, and I, I had no idea what it had done to the staffing business. I thought, oh, I'm just going to do what I do, <laughs> you know, build my armies. I had 400 last time in five years. I can do it again. And, uh, and uh, you know, hit me right in the face that the digital era had made uh, job descriptions unvaluable. Every, no job description made any sense. And the common, there was no common language in cybersecurity. I, you know, one person, security engineer could be 20 different things to 20 different companies. And we couldn't make matches in what I'm used to, which is moving, meaning helping fast. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it really just hit me hard. And so uh, instantly my brain went to, I need a taxonomy. <laughs> you know, I need a common language taxonomy for every single job that could exist in cybersecurity. And I need it down to the task and the project level. And so I went out looking while we were, you know, doing what we do. I went out looking for that person. I finally found that person. He's currently my chief security officer today. He's been with me six years uh, this month, him and his team. Actually, he came from 21 years of government contracting uh, in the same company from a, from a a defender to a CISO still defending uh, the rarest of rare. And yet uh, running into him, he uh, also saw the market issue and was intrigued what what we were doing and he uh solved this with me and so we had this we we built an internal application that took you know job descriptions with managers like are they going to do this task are they going to do that task and then any uh, up to one any one percent chance that this task or project would be associated with this title we're asking the question and so today you know we have now a public job building matching uh system for everybody but we were using it strictly for ourselves and and that was just super key to being able to make this work because the common language did not exist and um everybody was stressed out waste how much time is getting wasted is was unbelievable. I was shocked. I, I didn't know that's what had happened in the digital era. And it's security, it just has it the worst because it's the newest and the most complex. I mean, there's we're now at 10 categories, 45 functional roles. You can see it in our career center. When we started, it was 21 and that was five years ago. And so, you know, it's not to say that other disciplines don't have the same problem. They do. Ours was just worse because it was newer. It was much more complex. And who's teaching it, you know, to recruiters? I mean, nobody knew. And even the hiring managers, a lot of times don't know what they need, even still today. So that was critical for us to build that technology uh, and to be able to do that the same for building a profile. We call it a profile, not a resume. And so, you know, job searching is broken. It's a terribly broken system because of content. Oh, I didn't tell you. So before the digital era, it was $5,000 to run an ad in the Sunday paper. 
five thousand really? in the night. Oh yeah, I would run three wow. every Sunday per office, and you get a little space like this, right? And then think about it. First of all, the fax is rolled up paper. Number two is like that's it. Once it's run, where's where do you find it? You know, after somebody throws away the paper for the week or whatever, it's gone. And fast forward 10 years, I come back and the job posting digitally is a couple hundred bucks. You can leave it all year. So of course it has no value. You've got that problem. And then you've got HR having control over job descriptions where hiring managers aren't allowed to adjust them. And between those two things, it was shit show. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't believe what I walked into. I, th I thought, this is nuts. And that's why I was like, we got to solve this. And the more I started to do it, I'm like, oh my God, this is a national security issue. We can't even find each other. We can't match to each other in a day of, of technology. And mm -hmm. I like, yeah, no. Uh, so uh, that is my journey of the last seven years of solving that. We have solved it. Now it's just a matter of how fast all 780,000 of us are here uh, and getting the Fed in one place too, which I'm working on. Mm -hmm. Uh, but, uh, you know, and then it's also the, and, you know, getting new people in, which is why I founded secure diversity and, and, right. and really working that angle. It's, uh, it's a bad, uh, time right now. You yeah, know? I, I totally agree. Totally awesome. agree. Mm -hmm. it's and when, when you look at, you speak, you speak about diversity, when you think about like true diversity and people in cybersecurity with those, I guess, divergent, uh, I guess, personality traits or, or different mental divergence. Um, it's even more difficult yeah. to find a job because you, you have to interview and you have to create an environment different than most people. Like I have Asperger's and some of the most overwhelming interviews I've ever been on is when there's six people in a room Ugh. and they're all firing at you one at a time. And it's just, it's overwhelming. And I don't think that as an industry, we have been cognizant of, other people's needs. I think it's all been about the business unit and fulfilling numbers. Um, HR, most of HRs that I've seen, um, they have maybe two prerequisites to find a candidate and they just cold call everybody. I can't count how many times a week somebody contacts me wanting to know if I want to be a security guard. Uh, Where on my resume says anything about being a security guard? I know. Yeah. I and know. It, it's sad. It's sad. And that's for everybody. You know, I've never got a, a reach out with the title vice president of sales or CEO. And I've occupied that role for the last 20 years. Wow. Like, I don't even understand how uh, this all happened. I know that, uh, uh, even IBM Watson stopped their staffing services because, you know, everybody's matching garbage content to garbage content. So of course it's going to be garbage results. And, and another thing I, I truly dislike, um, and by no means am I racist or biased against other countries. But if someone calls me for a job in the U.S. and I can't really understand them because of the accent is so thick, what does that tell you about the company that's hiring this third party to do the hiring? You know, it's so disparate and nothing seems to be molded together like it should be. And right now it's, it's a Canada's marketplace, really. Um, but the problem is, is that these jobs that they're advertising, the requirements aren't written well. Um, a lot of the people that you contact on the first call have no idea, have, haven't even looked at your resume. 
Um, so it's, it's difficult. It's difficult, you know, for newcomers coming into the industry, especially when they don't have a lot of experience and, and some of them may not have the required skill set. Um, so it's a struggle. And I, you know, hats off for, for coming up with a, with a way to improve that. That's, that's huge. Oh yeah. Game changing, you yeah. know, solving, searching and matching. Those, you know, has to be done with technology and that's what we've done. And then you're always going to need a human to, to work with the people where the search and match that was done uh, to, to facilitate. And, you know, there's more recruiters than technologists that recruiting for technology. I mean, it's just, it's mind blowing. It's mind blowing. And again, all industries are suffering because what are we doing? We're all going to one place to search for every job in the world. Like what? <laughs> Like what? <laughs> We're already in search hell of everything in our lives. And, and that's how jobs, the, the, which are really careers is another thing. It's like, you know, that yeah. whole mindset is, it's just a job. It's like, where's the fostering of career uh, in, in the job system? It does, it, it, they're, they're, they counter pro, uh, productive to each other, the system and the concept. And so, you know, we've also taken this to that level to say, look, you know, we all have to be in one place. And if we're all in one place and there's career support, job support, training support, resource support in a common language, <laughs> then game over. You know, we won't have this problem anymore. It's going to all come down to emotional intelligence and who retains talent. And I can't wait because that's the power I'm giving the, the world is to say, can we stop this churn madness? Like you said, you don't know until you interview if it's a good fit, not good fit. Half the time you don't even know after you interview because nobody tells you, you don't even know really what the job is. It's, you know, it's like that, that, it, you know, when that's gone, mm -hmm. then people can, you know, really settle down and make their bed at a home, you know? So yeah. that's, and then, and that's what we got to focus on because our emotional intelligence problem mm -hmm. is huge. I mean, oh, yeah. I, that's what I've been speaking a ton about this week. And what we're seeing is so scary. It was scary pre-COVID. Now it's worse scary in terms of burnout and um, cybersecurity professionals doing four jobs. I mean, I even we even hear the word four now. Yeah. We used to two or three. And we know why. Everybody went remote. IT couldn't handle on their own. Security had to come in. Then you got solar winds, ransomware, pipeline. Oh, oh my gosh. You know, to the degree of 100 times more. And we're in the same capacity of supply. And demand just went through the roof because yep. every one of the 32 million companies in the U.S. that was not hiring is now hiring because of right. those those attacks and those breaches. And it's, uh, it's painful. Those breaches are painful. Painful, painful. Yeah. And we, the, we don't even know about them. I mean, so many of these companies are getting ransomware, you know, unless you're a public company, you don't have this exposed. So right. everybody got smacked and woken up and scared. And as I tell people, we used to have to do outreach because cyber professionals didn't get the budgets to use agencies Mm -hmm. I don't, you know, we had to help them fight for it. Now the calls are just coming in and yeah. supply hasn't changed. So it's all going to come down to EQ, emotional yep. intelligence. Who's going to treat these professionals correctly? And that's and the then, key. That's the key. That is Cult the key. Cult culture to me is one of the main pieces I look for when I'm choosing a company. There's a culture and people. 
you know, I, I've been talking about this in, in my talks for the past year is that the ones and zeros are never going to change. The, the digital stuff, the, the technology is it's technology. It's a box. But what we need to worry about are the people behind those boxes. They're actual people, not just employees, not just a programmer. They're humans with, you know, personalities and, and needs just like everybody else. But I think as an industry, we've lost that touch, that personal touch as well. Um, a lot of companies I've seen have, have really been trying to come forward and help, I guess, raise that awareness. Yeah, I mean, you know, you turn on the news and the world's plagued with a lack of EQ, uh, yeah. right? I mean, come on, we just take from others to give to ourselves on a regular basis as humans. It's quite disturbing. And yet we're the brightest of the brightest in this field. And so, you know, if anybody's going to be able to do it, it's us. And that's what I tell mm -hmm. people all the time. But emotional intelligence is a skill. It's typically a skill that was taught to salespeople because your job is to turn, you know, no's into yeses, which you're not going to do with anything other than positive energy kind and solutions <laughs> uh, and, uh, and, and really, unfortunately, nobody else. And we're suffering from it now. In fact, this week I uh, rolled out at ISC Squared Congress uh, my behavioral standards for inclusive work environments. I've been asked for years to create what is the foundation and the framework? What is it? What is it? And uh, it's, it, it's, it's skills that, you know, everybody needs to adopt and, and, and can be done. And we're erring on like crazy. And it's not just, it's not that even the cyber leaders that are erring on it, it's the people mm -hmm. above uh, yes. mostly, uh, you know, who are calling the shots who are handling the budgets and, but again, and not to say that it isn't in the, in this, in our own community, uh, but less than, you know, above. And so we see it in the attrition statistics and how often people leave jobs. It's not money. That's not what's happening. It's environment. Yeah. Yes. Yes. People leave people. Of course they get more money when it comes down to it because, you're taking risk. You don't know, you know, and it could be another place of the same or whatever, right? It's stressful. People always want to give people more money when they come on, you know? Yeah. Yep. But that, that's not what made them take the call. No, no. Yeah. And, and what's funny is, you know, looking back at my career, um, I have one, well, actually I have two bosses in the past that I still stay very close to. Um, and one of my flew to Dallas for a talk uh, just a couple of weeks ago. And I haven't seen him in 20 years and he shows up to my talk and we got a chance to sit down and talk to each other. It was really cool. But those are the people that make the difference are the people that make you feel valuable um, in your environment. And, you know, during a pandemic, there were so many jobs open for cybersecurity and it was because they transitioned to that, that work from home type environment. Um, I'm one of those guys that, that I do the instant response. Um, so I, I may go four or five days without sleep, plus the podcast, plus being a board board member, you know, on an advisory board for two companies, and just plus 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 plus, and that burnout's real. That burnout's yeah. really real. But a lot of us do do that to ourselves as well. Um, I know I take on a lot um, when I probably shouldn't, but I love to give back to the community to people who want to help out. Um, and there are some some companies out there that really don't want to help out. They want to succeed and they want to, you know, have dollar signs, but they forget yeah. about the people that are involved with them. Um, so one of the other things I talk about quite a bit is, you know, neurodiversity in the workplace. Um, you know, people with Asperger's or, or people on the spectrum, um, 
they're a little bit a little bit different. Uh, doesn't mean their IQ is any less. More times out of out of you know least their their IQs are probably higher. Um, so how does let's say the platform and, and how your company how does it address that that differentiator um, in humans? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I want to also make a comment on your, you know, being up for four or five days, uh, mm. you know, something I've been uh, saying a lot to folks is that, you know, you all are, are emergency workers and, mm. you know, unlike or like doctors and nurses and they have places to sleep in the office. I know we're not in the office anymore, but we think back to the days where, mm. you know, how are we caring for those emergency workers? And, 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 and understanding that a protector, like you said, you, you know, you, you want to, you have to care for yourself, but you're a protector. Like, how do you go, how do you close the computers or your, you know, terminals when you know there's attacks and things happening and possibilities that you're seeing. And so, you know, it's very hard to, as a protector to be like, okay, I'm not going to look right now. I'm done. So we must care at a greater capacity, understanding the, the nature of being an emergency worker and being a worker under constant stress. You know, the rest of us have constant pressure. Uh, you've got constant stress in that you're looking for the attack. Like you're on a, you're on a, you're on a heightened awareness of an attack. I mean, are you serious? I mean, other than being a woman and being prey <laughs> uh, <laughs> as children, no joke, as a younger, right? That's the shit that goes down. Like I, I, I can, I can understand that heightened sense and oh my gosh. So, yeah. so uh, it's really ridiculous that people don't get that. Uh, and so for those of you that aren't, you know, that don't have a place that gets that, uh, find it because they exist. It's just got to dig through all that stuff. But with neurodiversity and just in general, things that um, can be really easy for to, uh, an unconscious bias of an interviewer or a recruiter or what have you, you know, uh, eventually people have to meet. And, and so, you know, we can only do so much, but what we can do is uh, what we're doing is so professionals make a profile uh, that is public. So, you know, like LinkedIn is a public profile, uh, ours are anonymous. And I mean anonymous. I don't even know who you are. I mean, again, this is built by security people, including myself with uh, my security. This is, yes, absolutely. And so you, one can, I don't need to know what you look like mm. to match you. I don't need to know you're the company you're working for's name. I just need to know the industry. Uh, I don't need to know when you graduated. I just want to need to know if you have a degree. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't need to know the school. Why do I need to know the school? What the hell does that matter? Yeah. Uh, I don't, you know, I, whatever search you have, great. I don't need to know the years. And so when you remove all of that, one can be anonymous mm -hmm. and have a public profile and let employers apply to them meaning their job sent to them, which by the way, only using our taxonomy, I will not let these cruddy job descriptions just be pinging my, my, my uh, professionals that come for this service, which is free. Uh, and they can decide, which also helps with imposter syndrome because, you know, yeah, the rejection isn't you. It's, uh, right. it's the, you know, this profile, if you will, if there is a rejection. So, you know, that's about the best we can do 
from a search and match that could ever exist. In fact, the federal government's calling it blind recruiting, I found right. out. Uh, uh, and I am in uh, very much in those conversations of working, uh, you know, government too, uh, with the platform. And, uh, and then the rest is we can't be having recruiters who aren't emotionally intelligent talking to anybody, never mind security people. And we right. can't be having managers. Uh, and, and we do have a, actually a pretty a bit of a challenge with our managers and emotional intelligence because a lot of them were promoted without the training of emotional intelligence because they were great individual contributors. Mm-hmm. And so they're struggling. And you know, when we're under stress, we're not at our best. Right. I totally agree. And, you know, the position I took at this company uh, about four or five months ago. uh, So I I lead a blue team and also do red team and also do instant response. But I was put in charge of like 16 people and I've built teams before, but I've never built a team this large, this fast. Um, And a lot of people aren't prepared for that type of progression. Because you really have to understand people and you really have to understand your own processes and your own thinking. And you have to check on these people and you have to make sure they're, they're doing okay and, and they're getting what they need from you. And I think a lot of managers roll into that role as an authoritarian, right? So they think less about their people's needs and more about this is how I'm going to run my ship. Um, I had to do some... some uh, some promotions and I had to hire some some level ones and some level twos. So what I did was I moved two of my level ones up to level two and, you know, one of them had been there for quite a while and the other one, you know, she was, you know, fairly new, but hearing their interest and hearing how excited they are when they get a promotion, that's what fuels me. It's not the authoritarian. It's not making rules, making sure that, you know, we're the best at what we do. No, I want to be the best at what we do, but I also want our people to be the happiest too. Um, but I think that's really key. And another part too, that as far as like today and, and hiring policies and, and background checks and all of that, um, I have a background. Uh, I don't have any convictions. As a matter of fact, my charges were dropped, um, but they had to do with cybercrime and it's public information. And I had a company, a CPA company, want to hire me to be a consultant and just come in and take a look at their business and how they operate, you know, do a pen test, whatever. But the funny thing is, is that they, one of their guys on the security team had found my profile on the internet and found information about me. And immediately it went from, okay, we're really excited to have this guy. He's done all this pen testing to, we can't touch you because we're a CPA firm and you know, you've gotten into trouble. But and it doesn't matter what you do. Like once you start building a profile, a public profile out on the internet, yeah. people approach you differently. And yeah. how does the platform make up for that, or does it make up for that? Because eventually there has to be some sort of face to face, right? Yeah, yeah. Eventually you have to have the face to face. I would mm-hmm. say that you're probably gonna, for anybody in the, your that situation, is gonna find that in the financial firms for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're they're the ones that are gonna be the least capable of of uh, understanding Uh, and then on the other spectrum is going to be security software companies (laughs) you know who totally get it Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, and then there's the everything in between Uh, but uh, you know as as the good news is that um, you know uh, less of less 
financial firms are trying to figure out how to get out of that too. Right. You know, they're trying to figure it out. It's not, it's not that they don't want to, it's just regulations. They have right. regulations. A lot of people don't understand a lot of laws that are out there that are causing a lot of the churn. So for instance, the Equal Pay Act, which is a wonderful thing to have. We have to have it. It worked. The minute it went into play, we saw instant, <laughs> you know, change in equality of income because you can't ask what somebody's making anymore. And people, uh, you know, on both, all genders got significant raises because that game was over. But on the flip side, the challenge is that it's caused that a lot of people are disturbed by, you know, interviewing for a job to find out they can't pay what they're looking for. And right. that's because you can't bring somebody in over somebody else and to readjust everybody else can be months and months nightmare. of work and nightmare. And so companies aren't really ready. They're not prepared. They haven't done their analysis. And even if they did do their analysis, if it took them more than two months to do it, their data is old. And we all know it takes six months a year, you know, so, so that, that, has, you know, has caused a lot of churn. Uh, and, and we actually now have in the career center uh, salary data for every role. We, we update it every month. It's everything, two years experience on, because that's where we really play all the way up to the C-suite. What's the lowest we see? What's the highest we see for a base salary? So at least everybody can understand what you're playing with, you know, like right. what's what you're competing with, I should say. Uh, it, uh, you know, laws are a challenge to recruiting, even some laws of, you know, that were meant to be good, like anything causes something else too. Right. ideally it's less significant like it is. Mm -hmm. uh, it is that. And you know, the EQ piece on find, you know, finding joy and giving to others, only managers that find joy in giving to others should be managers. You right. Know, totally agree. Line. And, and I want everybody to understand what emotional intelligence is like, what's the definition and the definition I love the most, best, you can probably find it at the top of your Google search, which is the, the capacity to be aware of control and express one's emotions and to handle interpersonal relationships judiciously and empathetically. That's the name of the game. You put your IQ and your EQ together, you're unstoppable. And by the way, that makes your personality. And the good news is your EQ doesn't cap out in terms of brain development. Whereas the IQ, once the brain's fully developed, because it's a test it's really about taking tests, the abbreviation, uh, you know, a person's level of intelligence measured by tests is what IQ is. Right. And, and that stops it when the brain's fully developed. It could be somewhere in some, somebody's 20s, whereas EQ doesn't. So that's the, you know, that's the, there's hope, there's possibility uh, is that, you know, we can grow our empathy. We can grow uh, our, our personal relationship skills. Oh, for sure. For sure. Um, you know, it reminds me. So a year ago this month, I was literally homeless and I just got back from uh, the UK. Um, I had COVID, uh, just got out of the hospital, had no money in my pocket, no job. And from people in the industry and a good friend of mine, I was able to get a job and build myself back up within a year. Um, so I, I think that the more people, I, mean, I know it sounds bad, but I think when people struggle, they learn more empathy. They learn what's important um, and how fragile and how just perfectly balanced things can be. And if something tips off, then everything can fall apart. 
um, I had to learn that the hard way. And I try to teach that to, to my new employees that, you know, Hey, I'm not here just as your boss. You know, if, if, if you have something going on, we can absolutely talk about it. Cause I think empathy in the workplace, especially through management, a lot of people I think are afraid to show empathy in the workplace, not just because, you know, HR lines and, and, you know, don't want to cross them, but also to not seem vulnerable, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, I see that a lot, especially with, with male, you know, management and people have been in the industry for quite a long time. Uh, they tend to follow by the book and, and everything's black and white. Yeah. So, yeah. Go ahead. For those people, they really need to either get out of being a manager uh, mm-hmm. or adopt owning uh, measurable agreements, mm-hmm. making measurable agreements, managing measurable agreements, meaning people that aren't as high in the EQ, the way to get there is to set the, the playing field for success. Uh, such that one doesn't have to rely on their emotions so much or even, and and everybody should be doing this anyways. It's a part of my framework. It's where a lot of disruption comes from is uh, not having measurable agreements on projects and tasks and how much time it's going to take. And, and then following up when you make a measurable agreement and then you realize, Oh, something's changed. Uh, and, 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 and then right then and there changing the measurable agreement instead of waiting later is the responsibility of us all. And if we're doing those as managers and as individuals, then there will be less emotions needed <laughs> to, right. to, to have a great place. And so those people, again, they need to get out or they need to adopt that. And if they do that, then they'll have more brain capacity, emotion capacity to think. Uh, the other thing is, I, I say this often, I'd love to drop all politicians in a war zone. Uh, and I think they ought to in order to have their jobs. I mean, just mm-hmm. the fact that war zones even exist is disgusting. Right. Uh, and, uh, and so uh, let's drop them there. And I think empathy will be, a, I think we'll have a different game. And because uh, you're right, uh, people are, uh, a lot of people are removed uh, from what's going on. I, I uh, people say I must have had an, have an old soul, but for me, I see it every day. I know how lucky I am and how I'm just a number away from being born somewhere else where, uh, you know, destruction is done to, 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 to those places. And there's really more of that than there's more of what we have. And, and you, you know, even what you just went through, I mean, those people would love to have that opportunity. Right. So, uh, it's just, it's just ridiculous to me that we're even in this place. And so, Thankfully, the stock market, because we know nothing happens without money, has stock on. <laughs> Public companies ha- that you know have to do more, 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 more constantly. They have caught on that uh, high EQ environments mean more money. And so because of that, there's more awareness. Awareness then translates finally at times into training on, although, you know, I'm only seeing us be in the awareness stage right now. Uh, That ought to be what comes next. And yet when you think about that, it's like, well, who's got that training? You know, like I've got my training. I've trained training on my companies. I've got an EQ tree and all the skills we own and learn, but like, where do you go? I mean, there's Myers-Briggs and personality stuff that really oh. helps. It helps, but like, it's not enough. Right. It's, not, it's just, a, it's just a, a way to get in tune with an understanding, but it's not a, a development 
process of training. And so where do we deal? I mean, situational leadership is pretty rad, I must say. But again, it's not everything, you know, that teaches how to manage people based on tasks and projects. And it will make measurable agreements a lot easier and managing up and managing down and managing sideways. And that's really operationally critical. But like, words to use and not use and, um, you know, win-win communication, uh, you know, listening skills that are really, really being present. Those are skills. Like if I have gone through 17 years of training, I mean, those guys weren't just, you know, putting up companies, it was training. And then outside of, uh, uh, you know, training in terms of transformational mind dynamics and things that I've done where I've completely continue to transform my ability to speak words that land positively and, and uh, make solutions move faster and people, uh, you know, be turned on at a great level, which luckily I've always been able to do, but even more, you know, and so I'm with you. I love turning people on. I love giving them opportunity and, and, and showing them a way to have their, you know, help themselves. Uh, and yet there's just not enough of us. No, absolutely not. And I think that the comment you made about the, the politicians, I've always said, because I was in the military twice, served during two wars. And what I've always said is a president should not be able to step foot in the White House unless he served in the military. Because how am I, as you know, a m- member of the military, supposed to respect the commander in chief if they've never been in my shoes? Yeah. They know nothing about the military. They just took it because they've been in politics for 40 years. Um, I have a real problem with that too. Uh, but yeah, so the pandemic, I think, has raised a lot of unique situations as well um, with hiring and, and with the interviewing process and the whole, I guess, work environment as a whole uh, has dynamically changed. Um, and I, I don't know if we'll ever get back to a completely normal office situation where we're all face to face and we're sitting in cubicles or, you know, however the, the workplace is constructed. Have you seen uh, a lot of change during the pandemic as far as the way people are working and, and the way that they interview and the, the characteristics they're looking for during those interviews when it's a working from home situation? Yeah, you know, so. I'm just about to publish a lot of stats on this. So this is good timing. We, you know, I get asked a lot by the journalists, you know, mm-hmm. uh, is cybersecurity a part of the great resignation? You know, uh, is it happening in cybersecurity? And, um, you know, it, if the great resignation means moving from one job to another, yes, it's been impacted much more. And, and mostly because of, of recent two things. One is um, even the talk of going back into the office, never mind being told they have to be in the office or even in the office a couple of days. It's really not what the majority wants to find that senior leadership seems to be okay with it, which makes sense considering they probably have homes and kids in schools and what have you, but the individual contributors are, you know, either have moved or uh, just have really enjoyed the time they've gained back in their lives and they're just not willing to. And so because of that, there is much, much more resignations going on to the organizations that are doing that. Uh, and then we're also seeing just a, the burnout being so significant that uh, the, the resignations are at a higher level. And for the first time, seeing people retire in their 40s, 
retire in their fifties, you know, just can't do it anymore, you know, work. It's not different in any place to them, you know? Uh, and that's really breaks my heart and scares the hell out of me as a human and society and everything else, uh, to see how much burnout is happening. Um, and then, uh, you know, something that we've seen a lot of recently, you know, in, in, during COVID is we all know billionaires were made, tons of billionaires were made, right? So what does that mean for the tech community? That means acquisition, acquisition, acquisition. And acquisitions cause chaos and particularly mm -hmm. already to a stress security team. Are you serious? And the way we all handle, you know, acquisitions is so poorly to begin with. Right. Uh, right. And that on top of it's just like breaking point on the, on the West coast. Like you can just feel it in Silicon Valley. I have a massive presence there. We've been there a very long time and you can just feel it. Uh, and, uh, and so that's um, also super sad and um, yeah, more much more stress and, and, and burnout. And, uh, and so, you know, with our clients, it's like, you have to prove to us or create with us that you have a career plan and a strategy and you must be good people, or I'm not interested, you know, uh, you know, all those things. So our clients, you know, are achieving and succeeding and, you know, sort of never leave us, so to speak. And, and yet, um, you know, we're not servicing everybody. Right. So there's, there's a lot of work to be done, meaning how many people just aren't even trying. Yeah. And I, I know there's a ton of those people out there as well that, that, you know, are either intimidated by the process or would just rather not do anything. And I think the pandemic, you know, just the general sense of anxiety because of the not knowing, and mm -hmm. this is somewhere we've never been before. Um, I think that plays a part. Uh, we also have a huge issue in cybersecurity, especially within the security researcher, uh, I guess, environment or, you know, whatever you want to call it. Um, we have a huge issue with mental health. Uh, and I've lost, I don't know, probably four friends um, in the past year from suicide. Um, and I think that's a mixture of uh, overly successful, um, a lot of stress, uh, burn ourselves out, you know, stretching ourselves way too thin. Um, because one of my biggest problems in my career is learning how to say no. Um, that's not something I was prepared to deal with when I got into cybersecurity. I, I didn't expect to be in that position where I'd have to tell people no. Um, but the more that we take on, and I think the pandemic made things a lot more difficult as well, because when you're working from home, they think that that's a luxury. Most companies think that's a luxury. And it's, you know, that's something that, that we're blessing you with. So therefore, if I call you, you better answer the phone no matter what time it is. Um, and that's killing people. It, it literally, you never get off work. That's super sad to hear that. I, you know, that makes a lot of sense to me that the calls are constantly coming and it's even sadder to hear that four of your friends, I'm so sorry for your loss. Yeah. And, and, you know, really your community, the space that your skills is in the red team, blue team, right? Mm. The thing is the most challenged community uh, because they're the most misunderstood. They're the most mm. vilified and um, typically are, you know, genius status and trouble, you know, sometimes communicating. Uh, and so they, you know, definitely have it the worst. And, um, so it breaks my heart and, uh, you know, uh, working 
working from home for a lot of professionals, while it's good, it comes with a ton of challenges too, because, you know, a whole new lifestyle with, you know, who we're cohabiting with, or maybe children at home during COVID. Oh my gosh. And can't imagine. I can't imagine. I don't have, you know, homeschooling and doing what we all do. Like what, mm. what, you know, so it's like, of course people. And also how about this angle too, which is, you know, my organization, where I am like seeing people work all the time too. And I'm like, they're happy, (laughs) you know, but I don't want that to cause a problem because even though we're liking it doesn't mean it's good for us. So I had to think to myself, what can I do? What, What can I do? And one of the first things that came to my mind was, when we're all off, we're actually off. (laughs) Not all people get to be off when everybody else is working. A lot of us do not. And so minimally, let's make sure every bank holiday is off. I didn't realize that we had four that weren't. Mm -hmm. And then let's close down between Christmas and New Year's. And let's take days that where we were all off you know, that's one thing that I thought of, you know, there are lots of other things. And yet I'm still thinking because even for me, I love working, but there's less to do out in life. There's, and so it's really easy, right? Because I don't have plans to go to this concert that I used to go to, or the live music doesn't even exist for me anywhere anymore, unless it's Saturday, maybe now, whereas that's what I would do. Well, if I love working, I'm going to work. And so, you know, managers need to pay attention to that. We all need to pay attention to that. And then, like you said, the ability to say no, unfortunately, having to be able to do that is um, it's, it's not easy. Who wants to tell their boss no? Who is his boss or whatever, or turn down an opportunity, you know, any opportunity that comes to me, it it seems like I I get some really great opportunities. Like I'm working with Alyssa Knight doing content creation for her new media company. Um, And that was something that I wanted to do. And I was excited about, still I'm excited about it. Um, But other opportunities come up and I may not have enough time for it, but they're friends and and I want to help them out. So I don't know how to say no. And I end up working you know, sometimes till two o'clock in the morning. Um, next week I, I give a talk in Cyprus. I have to get up at two o'clock in the morning to give the talk. Um, I do stuff for the London police and sometimes I get up at 4 a.m. to help them um, because there's no longer a time zone anymore. Like when everybody went home and worked from home during the pandemic, time zones don't exist anymore. And I think a lot of people need to be more cognizant of time zones as well, you know, scheduling meetings, scheduling interviews, uh, media, you know, they need to learn that, yes, we're all working from home. We're no longer in New York or we're no longer in the UK. Let's keep that in mind because that does add to the stress that, that people put on themselves, I think. Yeah. In fact, I've, we've seen on the West Coast, which tends to be a bit more progressive mm-hmm. as it pertains to the treatment of humans, <laughs> considering the great state of California, uh, mm-hmm. leading a lot of this over the years. Uh, it, you can tell them from there. Even if I wasn't, I'd say that. And, and, and I'm sitting on the East Coast, which I'm bi-coastal and I love a lot too. But my point is that, um, you know, uh, those organizations don't, that while they're allowing everybody to be remote, they don't want East Coast people because they don't want to have to be on calls late or early. 
right. Uh, and uh, and that's a good thing. That means they're thinking about their mental health and they're thinking about their people. And so I'm super happy to see that. Uh, I'd like to think that you could still do it and not have to have meetings early and late. As I tell clients all the time, like, okay, but you just cut off half the country and everybody's remote. Really? Like, what do you, you can't, work a schedule that allows for that and, you know, think about it. And some of, you know, they're starting to, uh, you know, again, in a talent war, you have to think that way and, and, yeah. and push back. But yeah, it is, um, it is very true. The time is this, you know, just flow. It's, it's, it's not so, um, you know, structured anymore. And that is a challenge for all of us. A lot of, you know, most of us, if not all of us, love structure. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Structure and structure and routine, I think, are my two vices. I have to have structure and routine. Me too. Uh, When those get out of whack, I I don't know what to do. So when somebody comes to to you or, or, or if somebody's trying to get into the industry, what would you say is probably the first thing to learn before they go out? looking for that perfect career, that perfect, that perfect role. Yeah. So the first thing is understanding what role they want. And um, with 10 categories and 45 uh, job functions in cybersecurity, that's the most important thing because what happens is they go to an interview and they, they're sort of saying, I'm open, I'm interested in anything. And the hiring manager's like, yeah, no, I want somebody who knows they want to be a pen tester. I want somebody who knows they want to be an analyst. I want somebody, you know, whatever it is. And yet, you know, these entry-level folks are getting trained in probably three or four or six different disciplines. <laughs> so I, that's why I launched this career center at Black Hat for free for everybody, all roles mapped, all what they are, you know, uh, career pathing, certification mapping, all of that. And it's just going to continue to get better and better. But that's the first thing is really know what you're going after so that when you people can help you, it's hard to help somebody when there's so many ways they can help you. So help others help you do a Jerry Maguire, you know, yeah. uh, right? So help me help you by knowing what you're looking for so that I can get you to the right places if I'm a hiring manager, maybe you're, you know, or somebody that's trying to help you. You gotta, you gotta own that. Yeah, and, I totally agree. Yeah, yeah. And I think that some, you know, people getting into the industry as well, um, one of the first things they should do is learn balance and also, how to take time for yourself. There should be a class on mental health and, you know, not burning out because the majority of us suffer from that day to day. Yeah. My behavioral standards, which are eight items that I just rolled out. One of them is a self-care culture. If you're an organization that is not going to have a self-care culture, forget about it. You will lose at the end of the day, the talent war for sure. Uh, you know, and what that means is a culture that talks about health, a, a culture that supports health. I'm always talking about take some time to breathe or sending people bullets so that they can make smoothies. I, you know, uh, when they, when they first come to the company with green, you know, vegetables and I, you know, I, I talk about that or, uh, breathing and yoga and exercise. I used to, at 28, I weighed 310 pounds and I was smoking two packs of cigarettes a day oh. and getting very little sleep, making all kinds of money. And all of a sudden I'm in the hospital. Right. And I'm like, Oh my God, I don't, I want to play. I just got here. You know what? I? And so I transformed my life and I became uh, addicted to positive, uh, behaviors or positive, um, 
you know, uh, skills versus the negative ones, which were eating foods that weren't food or consuming too much food or then not exercising and not running a schedule so that I had enough sleep. And, and I had to own that. And, and, and I, and I still own that because if I don't, if I don't care for myself, I can't care for others. And so a, a company's culture must foster that that's the name of the game, that we all want the same things from life. We all want support and kindness and love and wage equity and growth and opportunity and training and uh, be around respectful people. We all want that. So uh, let's make sure that the environment supports it, talks about it and, and, and create self-care. I give massages as gifts. I, you know, take people to yoga festivals. I mean, I, I personally, as a leader and, and a manager, I'm thinking about doing things that are also active too, not just talking about it. So you want to spend time with me? Great. Will you go for a walk? Because, you know, I got to get my walk in today. You know, I'm notorious for that. Or uh, you want to, you know, join me for a yoga class and then we'll go out and have a bite to eat, you know, kind of thing. So it really is about a self-care culture and that organizations have to own that. Absolutely. You sound like a, a great boss to work for, by the way. Um, oh. So we're coming to the end of the hour. And I have to say, it's, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the you know, podcast. I think this will reach a lot of people and, and hit home with a lot of people and uh, hopefully give newcomers uh, some insight into what they should do and, and how they should go about doing it. Um, is there anything that you want to ask me? Any questions about the Haunted Hacker or you know anything else? I definitely want to thank you for what you're doing and uh, your service and uh, to let you know that I'm always here for you too. Uh, if there's anything I can do to help with the people you're working with, supporting, you just reach out. And on that note, we have one client. It made me think when you were talking earlier that I love, I love all my clients, but uh, my point is that this client needs a pen tester. They have a role open and they're lovely lovely people. I know the CEO. I don't personally do any recruiting, but I, I onboard all new clients, almost all new. So I'd love to give you that job description. Uh, maybe you can share it around, uh, has the uh, salary and everything. Lisa will put it in chat. But other than that, I, I just want to say to the community that, um, you know, there's a lot of people that care. So just reach out. I can, I can help. I can introduce. And if you're ever feeling down, I'm, I'm happy to cheer you up. Seriously. Awesome. Well, we, we appreciate it. And I, I definitely appreciate it. Um, you definitely have a personal touch in, in everything. You know, I think that's really super important. Um, but anyways, thanks a lot. And uh, hopefully we'll have you back on the show soon. And uh, I look forward to it. Have, yeah. a, have a good evening. And, and thanks a lot. You too. Take Thank care. you guys.